Hello. As you know, we're doing a three-week sermon series on faith, hope, and love. Last week we talked about faith. Uh, This week we're going to talk about hope. And as we're doing this and as we're going through this uh, series, we want to, number one, we want to continue to look at what's going on in the world around us. Uh, And number two, we want to prepare our hearts and our minds for Easter. And I mentioned something last week, but I want to I want to mention this again. And he, you can't see Daniel; he's right back there behind the camera. Um, but I want to give him a lot of thanks. Uh, he's spending a lot of time. Um, he's really knowledgeable about a lot of this electronic stuff, and and I really appreciate everything that he has done. And I hope you all give him a good hearty pat on the back, or a text, or a, or or something of that nature. All right, I want to start today with a slide that I think is not only directed to maybe any of you, but it's it's also directed at me. Um, And the slide says, Lord, empty me of me so I can be filled with you. And I don't know about you, and I can't speak for you, I can only speak for myself. And I know that as time rolls along here and different things happen, You know, we all have to deal with it in our own way, or we all have to think our way through it, or we all have to pray and ponder and read the Bible. And, and, you know, some of you may be having a harder time with this than others. Um, I have one request that I would kind of like to give to everyone, including myself. And that is, I, I, well, here it is. Opinions on this are going to be all over the place. There are going to be some people that think we're doing the right thing. There are going to be some people that think we shouldn't be doing this or we shouldn't be doing that. It's like everything else in life. There's just a gamut. There's a wide range of opinions. And maybe sometimes there is no real right answer. Maybe there's no real wrong answer. I don't know. But here's what I'm going to ask everyone. I'm going to ask that we please do not let our opinions become a barometer by which we measure other people's faith. Everybody's going to have to work through your feelings of fear or angst or whatever the case may be. You're going to have to do it somewhat in your own way, and you're going to have to do it with God's help, and you're going to have to do it with the help of others. You know, there are some people that are going to say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and the fear is not going to, and there are other people that are going to say, well, we should do this and we should do that. And the reality of it is is that opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. Let's love one another, let's support one another, let's look out for one another, but let us not judge others based on our own opinions. Let's just be a unified body of Christ, and let's just help one another through this time. At this juncture, I think it would be a good idea to have a prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you for everything that you have done for us. We thank you, God, for this wonderful country that we live in. We thank you, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for our church. We thank you for the church body as an entire body, as a, as a worldwide body. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that he gave. We thank you for the hope that we have through Him. Heavenly Father, as we are in these times, and you know, Heavenly Father, you know as well as anyone that as we do these sermons, things in our world just continue to change. You know, 
the governor of Indiana comes out and gives us a stay-at-home order. Heavenly Father, the phone in the office has rung off the hook today. Heavenly Father, you know that there are people that are fearing the loss of life. There are people that are fearing the loss of a job. There's a lot of things going on in our world right now, Lord. Please be with us. Please help us. Please help us to love one another. Please help us to support one another. Please help us to have faith and hope and love. Heavenly Father, please put a special hedge of protection around those who have to be in the face of real danger, those who are working in hospitals, doctors, nurses, policemen, um, those who are, you know, working diligently around the clock to provide care for others. Heavenly Father, please help them. Please bless them. Heavenly Father, please help us as a church. Please help us as a unified body to get through these trying times together. Heavenly Father, please help us to be a people of faith. Please help us to have hope and love. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The verse that we have been using and that we will continue to use comes from 1 Corinthians 13. And as we know, a lot of times we refer to this passage as the love chapter. Um, but the verse that we are using, and we looked at last week and we'll look at again this week, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Well, last week we focused on faith. Today we're going to focus on hope. The next time we meet, we will focus on love. But today our focus is going to be on the word hope. And if you recall from last week's sermon... Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This passage comes from Hebrew chapter 11, which we refer to many times as the Hall of Faith. We talked about having faith and the last time that we talked together, that we worshiped together. We talked about faith. Faith is the substance of what we hope for even when we can't see it. But what I wanted to focus in on this verse for just a second was the word hope. So here we are, we're talking about faith, we're talking about hope, and we're talking about love. And even in the fundamental definition of faith, we find the word hope. And I don't believe that it is outside of the realm of, of reason at this moment to assume that many people globally have a hope in their Messiah and in their Creator at this point in time. I do think, however, that it might be very uh, fundamental for us to consider the definition of hope. Because we are told in Romans 8 and verse 24, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? We're hoping for what we do not yet have. Because if we had it, then we wouldn't be hoping for it. And obviously, as we said last week, we want to have a plurality here. 
we obviously, on the one hand, we would be, I think we would be foolish not to consider what's going on in the world. And on the other hand, we want to continue to prepare our hearts and minds for the Easter season, for, for, this, for this glorious day where we celebrate together as a body the resurrection of the Messiah. On the one hand, we are hoping that we'll be able to get a handle on this virus, that we'll be able to get a handle on what's going on, that we will be able to get a handle. You know, people, the hope is all over the place. And everyone may be concerned with something a little bit different. On the other hand, we have hope in our Messiah. We have hope that we will one day be delivered from the bondage of sin and that we too will rise to meet our Savior and that we will spend an eternity in heaven. We have not yet achieved that. By the virtue of not having yet achieved it, it is a hope. And we have faith in what we hope for. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. I would ask, right at this juncture, I don't think there's anything wrong with all of us pondering what we are hoping for. And I love this picture. And I don't know how well you can see it, but I don't know. It may even be a weed for all I know. But it's a seed head. What is that plant trying to do? It's trying to bear fruit. It's trying to perpetuate. It's trying to bring about more life. It's existing. Hope. What are we hoping for? You know, Daniel and I were talking a few minutes ago before we came in here. You know, it's times like this make me realize how cushy the last 50 years of my life have indeed been. It's times like this that make you ponder. It's times like this that make you reflect. What are we hoping for? Obviously, it would not be out of line to say that many people are hoping that their family members don't get sick. There are many people that are hoping that the economy will rebound. There are many people hoping that they won't lose their job. Hope. But what are we hoping for in a spiritual sense? You know, Jamie and I were talking, and I'm just going to be very, very honest in these next two sermons, and I was very honest with Daniel this morning. I don't think the title of preacher in front of your name gives you some kind of invincible cloak, nor do I think that it makes you not have human emotion. Um, if that's the case, then somebody needs to replace me because I feel those things. What are we really hoping for? When I hope for my children, you know, I've always, you know, you hope, oh, I hope they're going to score 50 points at the ball game. Oh, I hope they're going to get an A on their test. Oh, I hope they're going to come and see me when I'm old. I don't know. There's all these things that we hope for. What are we hoping for? And what are we hoping for from a spiritual perspective? And I think that deserves a little bit of our cognizance. I think it deserves a little bit of our time. Now, if you recall, and I'm going to make these really quick today, um, I told you in the last sermon, I was going to share three quick thoughts, and I gave full credit to where they came from. They come from a manual that I received um, as a gift at one point called the Christian Minister's Manual, 
and uh, Dr. Guthrie Veach um, is the author of this book. And um, essentially, I shared three quick thoughts from that book because I was reading this section about comfort. Um, and I want to share three more quick thoughts today. Uh, I'm not really going to say much about them. I'm just going to share them with you because I really want to focus here in a moment on some psalms. And so I'm not going to put much focus on these three statements, but I believe that if we're, if we're trying to talk about today and trying to get our hearts ready for Easter, then let's, let's do a little bit of both. And so, number one, hurt never limits God's power. There is no limit to God's power. Number two, there are some lessons that can only be learned in pain and suffering. Life is hard, but God is good. And it was interesting because the writer of the book made mention that many of us, we love our mountaintop experiences, but we tend to learn more when we're in the valley. And of course, that reminds you then of a very famous psalm when we know that God is our shepherd. I shall not want. Number three, God is good, and He is good all the time. God is good when things are good. God is good when things are not so good. God is good all the time. And maybe you'll take some solace from those words. I know I do. I take some solace from that. I want to go back to the verse that is sort of our signature verse, obviously, for this series of sermons, and that is 1 Corinthians 13. And I don't think we can read it too many times. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Except we know today, we've already stated this, that we want to put a big emphasis on hope. And so I want to share something with you. And I'm going to be just, as I said in these sermons, I'm going to be very, very honest. Um... I'm a human of flesh and blood, and as I work my way through my emotions, I share with you what I look at or ponder because I feel like that if perhaps I'm struggling with a specific item, maybe some of you might be as well, and maybe some of you aren't, but there may be an item that you someday struggle with that I would not, and in that case, we can help one another. But as I'm pondering what's going on, as I'm at home, as I'm reading, as I'm looking at my Bible, as I'm thinking about faith, and I'm thinking about what does it mean to express faith, as I'm thinking about what does it mean to have hope, as I'm thinking about what does love really mean in the perspective of what's going on, loving someone else, I begin to think about the Bible. And I began to think about David. King David. And we are told in Samuel, we're also told again in Acts, but we're told in Samuel that David was a man after God's own heart.
David wrote several psalms. And the interesting thing, and I don't know if you know this or not, but an interesting item about the book of Psalms is that the book of Psalms is believed to have several writers. And the book of Psalms is actually, you know, a lot of times we think about it as being like, you know, more songs, but the book of Psalms really, with these different writers, there are songs of praise and worship. There are pleas for protection. There are prayers for justice. And there are pleas for forgiveness. Just a sprinkling of what we find in the book of Psalms. David, a man after God's own heart, wrote multiple Psalms. But I'm going to tell you what struck me about David and some of his Psalms. David wrote Psalms asking his God for protection. Give you a perfect example. And this is, a, this is a short one, and we won't read a lot. We will kind of pick and choose from some of the Psalms. But I just, I just want to give you a little bit of an example. Psalms 3, very, very short. David writes, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Lie, I lie down and sleep. I'm going to interrupt myself just for a second there, and I'm going to say, have any of you lost any sleep? I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. The reality of this is David wrote these psalms and when he wrote these psalms he I, I there is no doubt in my mind that he wrote these psalms with great emotion in his heart because David is also the man that danced in front of the ark of the covenant of the Lord as it came in to the city. It says he danced with all of his might. David there is no doubt in my mind David was a man of emotion, David was a man of passion. David asked his God to protect him, and he asked his God for deliverance. I'm going to go back to an earlier comment. If you have a moment of fear, if you have a moment of pause, if you have a moment of concern, you are not less of a Christian. You're human. You still have faith. God is still in control. And if you have cried out to your God for protection, looks to me you're no different than a man.
after God's own heart. Now that's the relation to what's going on today. What about this man that cried out to God? The same man that danced in front of the Ark of the Covenant for all his might, with all his might. Easter is still coming. And we're still excited. And even if we're not here, we can still sing, Up from the grave he arose. Psalms 4. Again, David. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And I think this is where I have to have a gut check, and I believe it's where you have to have a gut check, and I believe it's where we all have to have a gut check, and we have to understand that safety, the most important safety of all, is spiritual. Psalms chapter 5. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. And do not forget, even though I didn't put it on here because it just occurred to me, do not forget what our Messiah also said, Oh, how I long to cover you under my wings like a, like, like a hen protecting her chicks. Psalm 5, verse 12. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. And lastly, Psalms 9. And you know, I don't know if this piques your interest or not, but you might want to go and you might want to read some of the Psalms. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Hope in God. Hope in God. Fix your eyes on what is unseen, not what is seen. Have hope in God, for He will carry us through in one way or another. And that's what we've got to keep telling ourselves. And that's what we've got to keep telling ourselves when this is all said and done. Because when this is all said and done, we're going to have to work together. I see no reason why we cannot still pray and sing praises to God. You can pray to God and you can ask Him for protection. You can pray to God and you can still... But I would say that when we do this, 
I think, I think it's, I think it's okay and I think it's good to pray for protection, but I think we still need to extol his name. We still need to sing his praises. We still need to have thankfulness in our hearts, no matter what our state. And I know that's difficult. It's difficult to be like the Apostle Paul when he says, I have figured out the success and being content in each and every situation. That's difficult, but not impossible. I'm going to give you a challenge. And you may chuckle, and Daniel doesn't know I'm going to do this. He may chuckle. You may all think I'm, uh, you may think I'm crazy. I don't know. My wife doesn't even know this. I laid in bed this morning, and I woke up, and as I woke up, I began praying in my mind to God. And I tell you what I did, and, I, and here it is. I challenged myself to go through the alphabet and take each letter and make it an adjective for God. Awesome. You, you, I think, understand the point. Now, I'm not going to lie. There were a couple letters I struggled with just a little bit. Praise God. Extol His name. Sing it off the rooftops of your heart. Because we still have a lot to be thankful for. Now, I'm going to close today's sermon with kind of, this is kind of the last kind of area, kind of point that I want to go into very quickly. I want you to consider the New Testament. And I know that may sound funny, but I want you to consider the writing. I want you to consider the writers of the New Testament. And I want you to consider the time frame in which they wrote their books. And I want you to consider what was going on around them. And I want you to consider that, and I don't know if you've ever considered this or not, and maybe you haven't, but a lot of the writers of the New Testament at the time that they wrote, they wrote from the standpoint of oppression. They wrote from the standpoint of, in sometimes and in some cases, I believe, fear. They wrote from the standpoint of not knowing how things were going to go and knowing that their life could be in imminent danger or peril. Look, this verse right here, John 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now you're going to say, well, Brother Day, that was early on. Well, maybe it was early on, but the fact of the matter is they were meeting behind locked doors not because they were doing so you know, for any specific reason other than they were afraid. They had just watched their Messiah die. The reality of this is that at the time that many of these men were establishing the new church, the New Testament church as we know it, they were in danger. They were in peril. We believe that most of the men were martyred. So what were they concerned about? I think they were concerned about continuing to spread the gospel. But what I think kind of, and this is, this is my opinion, and you may agree with me and you may disagree, and that's okay. I think that a lot of these writers focused on spiritual deliverance. I think that was their, their thinking. I honestly, if you want to know the truth, I believe that many of them at this point, at the, the, I guess the verse I shared before, they were really scared. But I think as their ministry progr progressed, 
I think a lot of those men actually thought to die for the cause of Christ would, would be very acceptable and still wouldn't stack up to what their Savior did. So I think that as they went along, I think that they were less concerned. Now, this is my opinion, but I think they were less concerned about their physical state of being. And I think that they were much more concerned about their spiritual deliverance and the spiritual deliverance of other people. And you say, well, you know, what do you base that on? Well, I'll tell you what I base that on. I base that on writings like 2 Corinthians 4, where it talks about the jars of clay, where it talks about that we have this, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And interestingly enough, you know, I tried to give some pictures of jars of clay, and it's even believed that some of the scrolls and very important items were, were, were stored in jars of clay. But what was it about jars of clay? Well, jars of clay could be broken. The item could be taken out. You know, what was it about, what, was it meant to be, just be held in jars of clay? You know, what, 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 what was it? And, if, and, 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 and I hope that you'll go and you'll read 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to read just a smidgen of it here in a minute. But what was, what was this treasure in jars of clay? The treasure was the knowledge of Jesus. The treasure was the ministry of Jesus. And the treasure was the light of of knowledge of God's glory. This was the treasure in jars of clay. Now you may be sitting there and you think, man, he took a turn here and I'm really not understanding why I'm not understanding this turn that we just took. Well, I think you'll understand it and I'm almost finished, but I think you'll understand it when you listen to these words. I really do. I think that when you listen to what I'm about to read to you, you're going to understand how this treasure in jars of clay gave them hope. And where I think perhaps their thought process was. Verses 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now listen closely. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written... I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The apostles knew as they did their work that they were in danger. They knew that as they did their work that they were in peril. But they knew that they had this unsurpassed treasure in jars of clay. But we know it's not in jars of clay. It was in their heart. It was in their minds. It was in their soul. They knew. They had faith. They had hope. And how do we know that they had faith and that they had hope? Because they fixed their eyes not on what was seen, but what was unseen. Because what is seen is no hope at all. What hope is, is focusing on what is unseen. What is faith? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And this is what the ancients were commended for. It is my opinion that the apostles and the disciples, they understood something that maybe we don't focus on enough. They understood that there was a spiritual deliverance. Even if they were martyred, things were going to be okay. And that's really made me think. I've been thinking a lot this week. I've been thinking a lot about David, who I believe sang psalms to his Lord for protection, who was said to be a man after God's own heart. I've been thinking about the apostles. I've been thinking about this treasure that we have in jars of clay. I've been thinking about spiritual deliverance. I've wondered how long my focus has been in the wrong place. Rather than being on spiritual items, we get so easily hung up in physicality. And perhaps we need something in our life to make our focus more appropriate, to give us clarity. So lastly, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Remember, faith is not walking by sight. Faith is walking in the absence of sight. Remember that hope is not hope if you can see it. We're going to focus and we're going to put our focus on God and we're going to trust that everything will be all right and we're going to hope, put our hope in the Messiah. God bless. Can't wait. Till we can see you all again. Daniel may edit this part. But Steve, I can't wait till we're all together again. I'm going to give you a big old hug, buddy. All right, we love you. Goodbye.